Welcome to the Talking Serverless Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Jones, joined today by Alex Lee. Alex is the VP of Engineering at Serverless Guru and a close friend of mine as well. So it's a very exciting episode today. Uh, you may have heard from Alex Lee on the Leadership Rocks episodes uh, that we record on the Serverless Guru YouTube channel. If you haven't seen those, definitely check them out. Uh, links will be in the show notes. Uh, but with that very brief introduction, uh, how are you doing today, Alex? How are things going? Good, Ryan. Thanks for uh, having me here. Awesome. Yeah, no, uh, really happy to have you on. Um, so something that I ask almost every single guest is to try to get into the history and the backstory of how you got to where you are today, what that looks like. Um, and so I guess let's let's use that as our jumping off point. Take me back. What led to programming? How did you get started in all this? Like, let the audience know, like how all this, you know, your story played out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's definitely, I wouldn't say it's a traditional one for sure. I mean, I, I think the first reason why I ever got into programming was actually because like I thought I was good at computer gaming and, you know, I could type fast. And I actually got yelled at one of the computer science professor for this because like, why are you, why are you doing computer science if you're, you know, because they're not related. Obviously, you know, I didn't have much, you know, ideas back then. But yeah, I went to a traditional uh, university here in Oregon, started as a pre-med. Uh, very typical of my uh, culture, <laughs> and then switched to several majors before I uh, actually eventually going to computer science, which also actually ended up dropping out uh, school entirely itself. And reasons because of that is I thought it was a lot of waste of just pure time and money, which sort of backs up by more of the initiative that I took uh, after, which was uh, attending the coding bootcamp here in Oregon, which is uh, actually where I met uh, Mr. Jones here, Ryan. So yeah, that six month of boot camp was uh, absolutely helpful for me because you know that's the place where you truly learn the practicality of software development instead of you know, theories that you know that I kind of you know bang my head against on uh, the wall in college. Uh, but yeah, so I, like that worked out really great for me. After that, let's see, I got my first job at a startup uh, as a front end developer with one project manager and one back end person and. Their, their startup goal was to build a sort of an all-in-all CRM for the entire dealership uh, from sales platform to services, analytics, to pretty much everything that you can think of that was uh, available in the market. So it's really a true sort of CRM for a dealership operations. Unfortunately and fortunately, after a month I joined, uh, the project manager got fired and the backend architect that was there uh, ended up leaving the company as well. So uh, I was... All of a sudden, in charge of you know owning the entire architecture and the stack of uh, the stuff that they've been developing for several months, uh, which was in complete Java microservices back then. And I, I still think like this Dick's experience probably is what led to me here today is the acceleration of you know the panic and like the, the stress that you have to take to to really accelerate yourself to really take ownership of uh, you know something so critical uh, was definitely a challenge. You know, just writing lots of code, not that code is, you know, measured, you know, based on how much you write, it's actually the opposite, right? But, um, you know, that just goes to show how much experience I was gaining just the short amount that I was there. I eventually got promoted as like a project manager, hired uh, several developers there, uh, which was sort of like the first management experience that I've ever had. About two and a half years, I ended up joining Nike, uh, which was something that I've been Concern when I was at startup is that I didn't really have a senior mentor. Um, so, like, I didn't want to be stuck in my own world plus Google to uh, not know what real software development and how, how, you know, those real tech companies work. And that's something that I've always uh, wanted to figure out, but, you know, didn't have the opportunity at the startup. So, uh, I ended up joining Nike after several interviews. I joined a team called Inventory and Order Management, which is like the sole omni channel back-end team for all the APIs for all Nike inventory, as well as order processing across the globe uh, 24-7. So really extremely uh, business-critical systems. Uh, this is where I also had the taste of what pager duty truly is like being woken up at 3 or 4 in the morning to absolutely not be able to do anything but just report to an incident uh, team at Nike. Well, yeah, learned a ton of stuff here, right? Uh, Nike considered themselves as like a tech company. They see themselves as on par with like Amazon, Facebook, and they really try to operate at a tech first approach. And, um, you know, they're 
running on like a hybrid model. So we were primarily on Java, Java-based microservices, but everything was on AWS. So we had all the EC2s uh, managed by CloudFormation. We were using leveraging all the services like S3, DynamoDB, um, S SQS, and SNS, you know, uh, queue for uh, asynchronous API designs that we had as well. So really, this is kind of like what I asked for when I, I left the startup is learning like how tech companies really operate and also was a chance for me to really understand how cloud and AWS worked as well. So after almost two years there, I ended up joining Serverless Group, which is where I work now, um, where now it's more about people more than ever. Uh, it's less about the, the results, but more about you know, how, how, how do you make sure people are happy? How, how are people operating? Uh, it really all boils down to the people in the company. And that's sort of what my role has been now, uh, learning just you know, about people. And I, I think I've learned so much about like, how important that factor is that we uh, don't see when we're, when we're sitting behind computers writing lines of code, we, we forget to be human. And I think that human element is something that I'm learning to learning now, especially how important that plays uh, in a company like this. Um, so that's sort of like the sh short, short version of, uh, I guess, where, where I started in terms of tech. So, yeah. Yeah, no, awesome. No, it's super interesting. Um, I think the audience will find uh, your story very, very interesting, especially, um, you know, you mentioned the code school aspect. So uh, you mentioned that's, you know, also where, where I went as well. And that's where we eventually met on a, I think it was a train or something. It was like one, one of those moments where like one of us is sitting down, one of us is standing up and then it's like, oh, hey, you're at that school too, <laughs> um, really early on. Um, and then from there, it's been, you know, a cool journey. Um, yeah, so for that code school, um, you know, there's 150 people there. They're, uh, they're all learning, like, kind of the same material. Um, I guess, like, what are your opinion? Like, what is your opinion of that code school model in 2022? Do you think it's still valuable for people that are listening that maybe, like, earlier on in the journey? Or do you feel like um, it's kind of past its date? Do you feel like the material, you need to make sure the material is up to date? Like, what are your thoughts on code schools in 2022? Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm not going to name the, you know, the code school, but I think what most code school fail to do is understanding what's important in the market. Because, you know, we joke about how there's an update on AWS service every day, like something new comes out, right? Like, it's impossible to teach something a year ago now. Like you have to teach something that's going to be relevant in the future. And um, I think a lot of code schools fail to do that. Um, but in terms of, you know, your traditional college versus going to code school, I mean, absolutely you should go to a code school because, you know, I'm, like I said, like I'd rather learn something. I am much, I'm a better learner when I'm doing something by experience rather than, learning something through a text and converting that theory into an actual practicality. And you can even see this now in like schools now, like the University of Oregon is a school that I went. And as of a year ago, I think they started having their own technical bootcamp. It's called Web, Web Development Bootcamp. And a lot of colleges are doing this now, which just goes to show how, you know, how popular and how demand these sort of bootcamps are, you know, you know, assigning people into these various roles that, you know, because because from my experience, uh, my classmates who have graduated with a computer science degree had so much trouble trying to get their first job because, you know, the tech that they learn is irrelevant. They don't know what's in the market. They don't know what portfolio that they need to display. And these are things you only really learn at a boot camp by actually doing the actual stuff. Um, again, you know, every college is different. Every school is different. But for per my example and my experience, I think it was definitely uh, not for me. Uh, I, did, I feel like I didn't learn much in college. And I have a lot of people who I think would agree the same with me on that matter. Yeah, no, it's really interesting because um, while while going to the code school, I was also doing community college programming classes. And, and I was only, you know, I was only doing that partially to, you know, have the funds available to then, you know, <laughs> So then go to code school, obviously, with it. Um, you know, I was still going to class, of course, and passing those classes. But uh, what I did learn from seeing the side by side there is that the classes being taught in the community college, which was Portland Community College, um, for programming were like really basic, super old. We're definitely not like up to par with like what the market was doing. Um, and I definitely agree the code school was a lot closer to that. Uh, and, you know, the accountability of being there and so on. And and that whole that whole model. So 
so yeah, so that's good advice. So if you're if you're earlier on in the process and you're looking for something like that, maybe code school is still like a pretty good option if you're jumping in. Um, and then moving, oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, one thing that like came to my mind is also like, you know, you can't be, you can't do something for a prolonged period of time if you're not passionate and interested about it. And that, I think that was a big factor for me that once I started building stuff and I started seeing visually, I started to build interest and passion and I actually enjoyed. And that's sort of what motivated me to like stay up till midnight to code on my computer, which I would have never imagined myself doing in college because mm. nothing was hands-on practical and you didn't see anything. It was just, you studied this, you have to get a good score on the test. And that's how you evaluate it out of the school, which is a completely different experience. And again, like that experience did not work for me. Yeah, that's a really good point. Cause like the, the idea of, of traditional school a lot of times is it's not project-based it's more of like do this one small thing and then another small thing and another small thing and another small thing and then maybe like a month later you you like have the expectation i guess from the school that you 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 pieced all these things together and now you can do something with it but it it does feel a little bit um like you're not you're not like starting from a project-based idea like a code school would be where it's like build this website and when you build this website, you've got like the HTML, the CSS, the JavaScript all working together. Everything that you're learning in that process is like working towards it. And you're seeing this real thing like come, you know, kind of the flower blossom uh, to use a throwback word there. Um, <laughs> uh, Alex and I, one of our, our, we had group week projects at, uh, at the code school. And one of them was, uh, the name was Blossom, right? Like uh, I'm pretty sure. So yeah, yeah, little CRM action. Uh, <laughs> fun stuff. Um, so getting off the code school topic a little bit, um, and moving more towards, uh, you know, job after code school, you're at a startup. Um, I'm obviously very familiar with the startup that you're at. It's, is it fast paced? Is it, is it, is it, is it chaotic? Is it organized? Is it unorganized? Like, is there uh, a closeness feeling that you got? And and it's very interesting because you you started at the startup side and then went to the enterprise side. I know some people start at the enterprise side, then transition to the startup side. So what was it like going from like the startup to like not, like a company at the size of Nike? Like what what things did you learn in that whole process? Depending on the experiences, I think it's detrimental. <laughs> For me, going into a enterprise company was sort of a shock for me because something that should have been done in a day usually takes two weeks or a month. And the, the bigger the company is, the more just different layers and filters of things that you have to get through to get something done. Where startup, I was working directly with the person that was a stakeholder. And when the stakeholder is telling the engineer sort of like what to do on the project and like where their vision is going, uh, that's, you know, that's a great opportunity. Um, but also, like I said, it's very chaotic and sometimes unorganized because there is no process or procedure in place like a big company does. Um, it's it's more agile, right, in a way. Um, so it's definitely fast paced, and you you know you <laughs> you know you work a lot and you you grind it because because that that's whole, whole part of the startup kind of mentality is to you know work hard and get paid and like you know making sure that your startup product is gonna you know go somewhere, right? And that's kind of like the 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 excitement that you get from startup, whereas enterprise is a completely different experience where I, <laughs> I joke about Nike being a very nice place to retire when I'm like 60 because, you know, I would love to have a family and have a house, have a boat, and then just chill, only work two hours a day. You know, that's a great, great sell, great benefits, great pay. Like Nike sounds good as a job position, but, you know, somebody, well, I'm not going to say this is for everybody, right? But someone like me who's been in that chaotic you know, just such a fast-paced environment. Um, it, it was a hard transition for me, and it, and I couldn't get myself uh, to be in a in a slow-paced environment. And and that's actually one of the biggest reasons why I ended up uh, leaving Nike is I knew this wasn't a place for me long-term. Um, you know, every company is different, right? Um, but generally, I think I would recommend and also prefer personally that startup is generally the best, better approach for for tech. You you just learn a lot more. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you uh, a lot on this because, 
the it's kind of funny like how the 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 crossovers of of your story and my story in terms of like we both ended up working at Nike, which is which is funny and you know um and I think we both did a startup as well so we were both at a startup both I think I was at Nike and then went to a startup you were at startup and then went to Nike um but the the thing was the same like um joining Nike and I didn't have the perception I guess of like what a startup felt like. I definitely, and I was, oh, okay. So mine was a little bit more complex, I guess. Cause I was, I was on like a two person team. I was the second person on that team at Nike and then it grew over time. So it was sort of like a startup inside of it. And, but once, once it did get to the point where we scaled out the project and everything was built and it started getting to, okay, who maintains it? And I started to learn about the politics side of working in an enterprise and, and, you can't really like jump forward. You have to go through this process of like, talk to your manager who talks to their manager that talks to their director that then talks to like a VP or something. And then maybe at some point in like three months now, nah, it's definitely not going to happen. <laughs> and so like, I, I, I felt that and I, and then, you know, someone that basically knocked on my door and it was a startup. And so then I, I jumped over to do that and I could immediately feel the full weight of the world at that point. Like uh, you were kind of hinting out there, like the stress of it, and then also something that uh, I'm sure you felt too, maybe you'll agree with, is like the closeness to like the highs, right? Like I feel like startups have like super low lows and extremely high highs. And like those high highs are just, you know, amazing um, from from my experience. I don't know, has that been your experience as well? Or what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I mean, totally. It's... Yeah, it's just like, I mean, you can only really experience this like if you've been through both. And again, like each experience for every company is different. So I can't, you know, say that they'll be the same. But, you know, again, like the, the joy and the, the high high that you're talking about is definitely apparent. And it's 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 such a different world. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's it's some it's something that only people will understand when they've been through kind of both. And if they've had a good experiences from both places, I think it's, it's clear, like what works for them. And again, it's different for people to people. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I know that like when I, when I got that, you know, I just want to say as well, like caveat, like we're not hating on, on Nike. I think that first day when they gave me a whiteboard desk and I had a MacBook on the thing and I had my own MacBook laptop and I'm like looking out and then that first day actually, um, which sounds like I'm lying, but I'm not actually lying. It was actually really crazy timing because it never happened again. Uh, Michael Jordan was in the cafeteria. And so everybody ran out and someone came back. I was like, where did everybody go? Everybody was out of the building. It's, of course, my first day. So I'm not moving. I'm like trying to look professional and like keep my job. And then everybody comes back and I'm like going to get a coffee from the little cafeteria. And then they're like talking or like, oh, wow, something like I held the door open for, for Michael Jordan. And I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, he's like over the cafeteria area. And I was like too nervous to like leave the building. Um, and so, you know, that didn't happen like all the time. We didn't have like celebrities always coming to the uh, to the campus there. But um, that's me basically saying like, like Alex said, like there's a Olympic sized swimming pool. There's this huge like, you know, probably like MLS size soccer field and a rock climbing wall and you know ponds and all these things it's a really cool place to work um but i think like where where i've been at um from my perspective is that the the reason why i ended up leaving was partly because of the maintenance part but i also felt like i have like more gas in the tank you know like i felt like the overall of like i was 22 or 23 at the time when i decided to leave and and I was like, okay, I'm like coming towards the one year mark. I think that I could do more, right? Um, and and that's kind of where the the startup route went. And then you know, conversation for a different time, you know. So, um, but yeah. So then you know, following your Nike adventure there, um, you then uh, came into Serverless Guru, um, and of course, it's been great having you uh, on the team. Um, so yeah, I guess like any, any thoughts around like the, the transition for those, I did in the intro VP of engineering, um, at serverless guru. And so that's, that's really cool. I guess like on terms of like for the audience, what does the day-to-day look like as, um, a VP of engineering at a cloud consulting company 
that kind of specializes in this more smaller market of serverless? Like, what is that? What does that mean? What does that look like? I mean, I, it, in my opinion, I think it all boils down to people management. And I also do account management for different clients as well. But um, really, at the end of the day, is my job is to making sure that every team member is content with what they're doing and operating uh, at a professional quality. Um, and also, at the same time, ensuring the clients are you know happy with what we're providing to them. I mean, which just generally just means lots of emails, lots of meetings, you know, conflict resolving and, you know, occasional firefighting. Um, it's a <laughs> definitely a challenging job uh, from, and I read a lot of articles on like transition from technical to management. Um, a lot of people go back and forth a lot and it's something that I'm learning every day. And I, and one thing that I've learned in coding with career is that it's always like the challenge and that that gratification of knowing something and that you've achieved something is what motivates me. And people management is something that, you know, that what that is in my career management wasn't my career. And it's something that I'm again, touching up to really skill myself up. And I mean, it's a job that you really think a lot. Um, it's, it's a challenging job, especially, you know, when you're on the more empathetic side of things, you know, it, it can take a lot of emotional toll on you just, because, you know, you just care a lot about people. Um, but again, it's, like I said, because of that challenge, uh, it motivates me to continue to do better and be better and learn better. And I think I'm, I'm definitely like hitting that like next transition of my career where like I'm slowly, you know, transitioning into the management side where, you know, I'm learning fabulous things about like all these, you know, talented engineers and architects that we have in our team. And it's just, it's just a great you know, opportunity as well as great fun working with these guys. Yeah, no, it's something you said there too is like uh, very interesting because the idea of like people management and coming from a coding background, it's like, and, and I have to do a little bit of both as well. Like I still code some stuff and I still do the, the people management side. And it's like with code, there's like layers of abstraction and like problems to solve. And it's like, but it's almost like isolated, right? like the blast radius of like your code is like usually pretty small or there's like many tests, there's different environments, all this stuff. But man, you say one wrong thing and uh, in the, the people management or in the management or the account management or anything like that. And there's like a huge amount of ripples that take place. And I know that, you know, we always like, we're on calls all the time around like strategy around how do we communicate this and and then how do we shift resources around and what do we tell the team and what do we tell the client and how do we we had this fire happen and it was like on the weekend and then now we're coming into monday and like how do we you know how do we make the like the client feel confident while also make the team feel heard and it's like it's complex right it's pretty complex yeah absolutely yeah it, it's 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 so funny because like like engineering, like as a typical software developer, the things that why they love that job is usually the opposite of what managers have to deal with. Like one of the biggest things is like context switching, right? Is, you know, as a programmer, we, we hate absolutely despise context switching. Like you're, you're deep into the code for several hours and somebody says, Hey, can you look at this? Or can you help me with this? That is like the worst, you know, attention sort of uh, distraction. Right. Um, whereas like as a manager, you're, you have to embrace and, you know, ask for context switching because like not one case where one person is going to be the same case with everyone. Um, you really have to play different kind of role and position for, for among like different situations. And yeah, I mean, the amount of context switching that happens, like, you know, now I'm so used to it to the fact that like, you know, I, and I've noticed you do this too. Is like you, we're simultaneously doing things at the same time, just being two different people. Um, just just because like that's like the nature of uh, management is like you know, you, uh, ten seconds later you have to do this, and ten seconds later you have to do something completely different. And the better you become at that, I think the better you get better at you know being a manager is being more organized and being able to manage efficiently and effectively. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And it's like, it's definitely one of those things too, where you like the, the, there's like things that you learn from doing it that you can only learn through doing it. Like, and I've noticed like, I'll read a book or something around management. And then it's like, 
do this thing. And it's like, and then the opportunity arises where you can do what the book said. And you're like, nope, <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to send that message. Like I know radical candor wants me to tell this person this feedback, but I don't have the heart right now, you know, um, to do it. And uh, yeah, have you, I like from like things that you've learned, um, have you been able to see like track, like almost like a progression since like you started moving into that role to like today? Um, and have you learned like any, you know, insightful things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll just say that even at Nike, all those sprint like ceremony meetings that I had to attend to, like I never spoke a word because like, I just like, you know, being reserved and being quiet and just being in the background and doing my job and getting paid and, you know, leaving at five, that's what Nike was. But, you know, now I sort of, sort of had to like really make myself confident in front of a lot of people that, like, let alone, like, I couldn't be in a meeting, like, confidently with my own teammates. Now, like, you're sitting with, like, a CEO or CTO of a potential prospect that you have to, you know, sell your services to. And, you know, we're talking to a high stakeholder at a different client. Um, you know, like, the titles really used to bother me a lot, right? Oh, it's a director or a VP. Um, but, you know, the more, like I said, the more you do, the, you learn and you get better at it. Um, and I think that's something that I've noticed over time now is, like, I, it's, definitely a lot more natural and seamless for me to jump into conversation and just, you know, be a conflict result or uh, being a servant leader that the one that needs to speak when it needs to, but, you know, is in the background, making sure that, you know, they have an overarching side of, uh, you know, the operations that are going on day to day. Um, yes. Yeah, no, it's, it's cool to hear the, the progression around the um, being in meetings and then, you know, having to like jump in and like talk and, speak to like CEOs and things like that. Um, that was something that I, I first like felt really strongly at the very beginning of serverless guru. Um, not the, not at like the very, very beginning of it, but once we actually landed like a, um, one of our enterprise clients, oh my gosh, the being in a meeting with like a VP of engineering or director of technology at like some fortune 500 company was definitely very nerve wracking. And, and I won't, I won't lie. Like it still is a little bit, but now I feel like I have the tools to handle it, or at least the evidence that in the past it's worked out enough times that like in this different call, that's going to have like its own context that it'll probably work out as well. Yeah. So this is, this is super cool to hear. Um, yeah. And so I guess like um, other areas outside of, of all the VP of engineering stuff in your day-to-day -day, um, serverless guru, I know that you were a musician for a while, right? So like, do you, what, tell us about your your background with music. I know that you you play many instruments, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I've always wanted to do music as a career, but um, you know, again, traditional culture, <laughs> Korean parents, and uh, you know that, that they don't really go well together, right? So, uh, but no, I've started uh, taking private lessons on flute when I was five or six in Korea. Um, and played throughout all my life still to this day. Um, and eventually, you know, kind of explore around different areas, but just music in general, I think just having been, I wouldn't say forced, but like just, you know, your parents making me, making you do stuff, right? Like going to the private lesson, you know, every day isn't something that a, you know, five or six year old will, will, will do, right? Like I'd rather mm -hmm. play video games on my computer, not, you know, but uh, because, you know, they believed in like that. And I, you know, actually to this day, I really do, I uh, feel thankful for for the things that they've done is the the creativity aspect that they've really planted in me early on, I think has a lot of impact, not only through being able to play music now, but also uh, day to day at my job. Um, the creativity aspect is, I think, really important. The EQ and all that stuff it kind of plays into the creativity. Um, you know, they also made me do like art school for like several years, as well as Taekwondo. Um, you know, Korea is really... Uh, like really not, I wouldn't say famous, but it's a, it's a norm to go into these like private tutors for math, all these different subjects, extracurricular stuff after school. Um, and if you didn't do that, like you were actually considered somebody who wouldn't like perform well in school. Like that was almost like a necessity because the, the, the bar and the academic level is just so high uh, inherently uh, that like people had to take extra classes and time to be able to even meet at the average bar. Uh, but that being said, uh, you know, music, you know, like that's something that I've always, you know, enjoyed doing. And it wasn't until like, I, I think there's also like two different cultures that made 
like also what kind of like bloom like the, the interest in music for me is that um, in America we have bands right we have like a lot of extracurricular groups um, so in in high school and middle school I you know attend a band I actually went into uh, what it, Philharmonic Orchestra in uh, University of Oregon which is like one of the top band too I played there for one semester uh, one trimester but you know had I continued in fluent in Korea just doing private lessons doing these solo pieces. Um, I probably wouldn't have found much interest, but the fact that like I was able to take that skill and be part of something like a band, a bigger group where I was contributing as like a team, I like that just kind of sparked that immense uh, interest for me because now it wasn't just about me performing for somebody. Now it was about like playing a group and learning about different things, how music uh, theory, like not just from a, a solo instrument aspect, but like a, as a whole, uh, that's where I started also started developing like interest in music as well, which where I picked up bass, guitar and drums because I wanted to learn how music was created uh, from from the grounds up and what are the components that uh, make it necessary to create you know beautiful music. And you know and piano, I think guitar are really all great proponents of uh, those things to really really go towards to because it it gives you the whole spectrum of like musical theory, whereas, single instruments like flute, uh, which is a solo bass instrument, like you wouldn't really get that kind of exposure. Um, but yeah, you know, mu music is something that I want to continue being part of my life as I grow up. It's something that I've definitely invested the most hours, I would say for sure, um, out of any other skills that I've had in my life, just because I started so young uh, and just because I enjoyed you know, doing it. But as of lately, you know, I haven't really uh, been able to, you know, get back on track, but you know, Thanks for the reminder because that's something I really need to do. No, no, it's so cool. Like, um, I I didn't have any push or any inclination to do anything musical. Um, but I now I, I'm like older and I look back and I'm like, oh, I wish I would have learned how to play the guitar or something. Or if I start today, which you know I may end up I may end up starting. I like I'm starting from zero, right? Um, but off topic of that, it's just cool. There's a cool factor to being able to play music and and being able to express something um publicly and i don't want to get all philosophical but that's actually something i've personally struggled with with doing software is that we build these like really robust architectures and applications and there's so many layers and it's there's a good way and a bad way and like if it was realized in in a physical form you could really tell the difference between like what good software looks like and what bad software looks like the same way you could see like a good bridge and a bad bridge or a good building and a bad building and or a creative building and an uncreative building you know and that's something that you know i think is really interesting about music is that it's this outward expression of something that anybody from any language and any background can understand just by birth right um without any type of technical jargon or understanding there so that and also also like art um has has been like very interesting to me now like uh you know, I'm sure everybody struggled with the conversation of like your grandma asks you like, "What do you do?" And you're like, "I fix TVs." You know, like I don't, I, <laughs> I wish I could go and like, uh, do you know about like cloud services? <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so that's always a fun thing, um, especially when you meet new people and they ask you what you do, and you're like, "Okay, I'm gonna give you like seven to fifteen layers," and then as we go through, okay, let's stop it too. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so super cool. I guess like going back to learning all these different instruments and the way that you talked about it, the being part of a group and playing a role in that to then perform some like unified sound, right? Um, that's that's a really interesting concept. Um, it sounds like it plays like a pretty critical role in the idea of uh, even people management because like um, not to say like people are instruments and then, but it's like we all are contributing to something uh, individually that then creates like this unified like flow of, you know, of sound. Do you, would you agree with that? Am I out on an island? Like, oh, no, you're totally on point with that. And I, I mean, what you're describing is leadership. And there's definitely uh, aspects of leadership with a band um, because, you know, it's not just one each instruments that are playing uniquely. It's you, when you have a flute section, you'll have five or six flutes, or if you have a trumpet section, you'll have five or six. So there is like a team lead person that's 
you know, like obviously like it's, it's not your job to manage and make sure like you're, you're making sure your section is good, but like, it, you know, I think that aspect plays there definitely because in a way that it is, it is an ownership and a leadership that you have to show to make sure that like your section plays well. And I, now that I recall, I, I feel like I remember like several times where I've made corrections and making sure like I was being responsible for my group to make sure that we sound well. And, you know, you know, that, that to me now is thinking from business aspect, like it's leadership. But back then I wasn't thinking of that. I was just making sure that, you know, making sure you guys don't sound bad, like, you know, play the, play this stuff, don't play that stuff. Uh, but like, you know, in, in, in translations, I think that is a small form of leadership early on, just small uh, experiences like that. I think definitely uh, adds on to, to the greater future. Yeah, no, that's, that's super cool. Um, something else is like the idea of skill acquisition too. So like when you're describing picking up these different musical instruments, um, I've always I've always liked the idea of uh, how people, I've noticed a trend where like there's a doing programming and, and these things, there's like is a level of like almost like getting badges and like learning, like going, what skill do I need to get to the next level? And then just constantly consuming those different skills and and there's always like a jumping off point. And so it sounds like what Flute did was it like opened up the door to a lot of other things, um, which is kind of interesting in the fact of like, I hear people say like, the most important thing is to start, right? And start from where you are today with what you have today. And maybe, you know, and potentially, hopefully, that then translates into opening up all these other pathways. like. Um, so if I was going to start with HTML, start with HTML, don't worry about, oh, it's not a, it's not a programming language that people might say, or if you start with JavaScript, oh, it's not object oriented. Or if you start with object oriented, oh, it's not the modern Node.js. It's like, just start where you are, do that, go down that, that rabbit hole and then let it like open those doors up later naturally. Yeah. So I guess like in terms of music, obviously I don't have any music background really. So like in terms of like uh, skill acquisition, would you say there's like a component to skill acquisition with, with your musical journey? I mean, I'll say this, uh, you know, ex experience is better than no experience period. Right. So, you know, I'd rather experience something and learn whether I know that's going to open a path or not. That's always 100%. Like I want to experience it just because, I think curiosity plays a big role. I, I consider myself as a very curious person just naturally. Like I'm always curious about just everything that's happening around the world and, you know, just constantly asking questions. What if I did that? What if I experienced this? What would that lead to? What, would, what doors would that open for me? And I think it's not that something that I like knew. I'm only reflecting based on like how I, you know, made those decisions and looking back at it now. Uh, but, you know, like, with with the flu example right like i was a kid and you know i didn't enjoy it and so like there was no reason for me to continue doing it other than the fact that my parents were making me do it uh, but obviously like again as an example that opened up the door for the whole world of music that like i'm at now that you know that i wouldn't have been able to as a non-musician um but again i think that the big thing that i've learned whether it's music programming or you know anything else is that just looking back at my things that 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 I that I consider myself like you know decent at is something that I've enjoyed doing. Like you just can't be good at something that you don't enjoy, and that and, and that's such an important thing in career too, right? For college kids nowadays, it's like, oh, you know, this job sounds good. You know, it makes this amount amount of money. Um, but you know, like at the end of the day, those things only last so long. It's it's are you having fun day to day? Um, and I think that's also what I learned at the startup is that, you know, I, I feel like I was blessed. I mean, I was getting significantly paid less then, but every day I was waking up in the morning, just so excited, just like, oh my goodness, I'm going to build this today. I'm going to build that. I'm going to make sure these APIs are connected together so I can make this happen, or I'm going to scrape this web and do that. Like there were just so many interesting things that, that was happening daily that like you couldn't not let yourself get better. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause like you're, you're so engaged that like you're, you're, you know, like the, so you're accelerating at a much faster rate than anybody else who was doing that. And I think that's a philosophical thing that I stand by now for my life is that, you know, if you really want to be good at something and be an expert at something, um, you know, you have to like it. 
Why? Because you have to spend just that many hours on something, right? It's the 10,000 hour rule, right? To be an expert at something. I think, you know, that, that goes a long way. Yeah, no, this is super, super insightful. Um, and yeah, totally agree that, you know, waking up in the morning and feeling like that level of like, I've got, like you said, I've got these APIs to do. I know, like, I want to see how it hooks together. I want to see if it's in the email, what's going to happen. Does it bounce? Does it track it? Like, there's just so many interesting things. Um, with the caveat being that maybe if I didn't like it, I wouldn't be interested. I wouldn't be engaged that next morning. Um, and and so it sounds like both the environment plays a role there, right? Um, so maybe your work having like meaning, maybe the the larger the company, the less your individual work means to the overarching system, um, as well as like, uh, I guess, like just overarching enjoyment from it. So do you think it's possible to not enjoy programming and then do it successfully day to day? Or do you think it's like a burnout that then maybe you're going to have to like transition to some other role, maybe still in tech, but maybe not specifically programming? What are your thoughts? Oh, that's a interesting question. I mean, I would imagine that most people would, you know, burn out. And I think we see a lot of that in today's society where, you know, how many people at 30, you know, having midlife crisis, you know, questioning their job and day to day about like, why am I here? Why am I doing this, you know, crappy job? And I think there's more of those than we'd like to think. And I think that is because of what you just said is the fact that, you know, <laughs> like the, the traditional route is, you know, it, it we weren't taught to do something that we'd be enjoying. We were taught to do something that would be successful. Uh, we To be successful, like there was always a correlation of status and money. And I think that is, um, right. I, in my opinion, I think that is an incorrect approach like from how I personally look at it. Um, but because of that societal kind of pressure, I think a lot of people end up in their place. And I think I could have been very much susceptible to that as well because of my you know, traditional background and culture uh, that like I was pushed into status, wealth and fame, you know, not not fame, but <laughs> status and wealth, right? <laughs> um, you know, hence being, you know, the, the pre-med early on for, for the major uh, to, to be a doctor or, you know, surgeon or a lawyer, right? But, you know, uh, one of the big reasons why I actually ended up switching from pre-med is <laughs> my father actually sat me down one day in college and he's like, are you trying to help people? Or are you trying to make money? And I said, I'm trying to make money. <laughs> I want to be a surgeon. Like, I want to have that good job, have that status, and I want to make whatever money that they pay, you know? And he said, you know what? If that's what you want to do for, you know, you should, probably shouldn't do that. And at that time, I didn't understand it. At that time, I was like, okay, whatever. But over mm. time, I truly understood what he meant. Because you can't do something as stressful as a surgeon or a doctor without the true passion and interest for it. If you're just there for status and money, that's only going to last you so long. And you're going to be probably one of those terrible doctors that are out there in the U.S., right? Like those doctors that, and you can tell, right? Like when you visit a doctor, there's doctors that really do care about you. And there's doctors that don't really care about you once to sign a paper and give you some medicine. Like you see that. And I think that is a result of, you know, what I'm talking about here. Mm. Yeah, that's so, that's just so interesting. The, um, yeah, the analogy that you just used around doctors and yeah, I've definitely, I've definitely seen that too. Um, and heard stories about how like doctors that like really love what they do, it makes it feel like they're not like, they may still give you medicine. Like it may still be the same, like overarching result, but you end up walking away feeling connected to that person. And I'm sure if we looked at like statistics of people that go back to the same doctor, um, it's probably the ones that actually make you feel like you're not just, you know, an, a number and they actually give, they actually care, probably not the cost, they actually care about your health and well-being um, and uh, yeah, and and passion and things like that. I also want to say shout out to your dad for that, like um, that that wise wisdom he was instilling in you um, back then. You know, I've I've definitely had things um, uh, from from my dad and others where I like repeated it over and over again for years. And it was like, and then finally it hit me, you know, and it's just like super insightful. Um, so yeah, like, a, I think they call it a Satori or something where you get that, that moment of clarity or like, ah, I finally get it. I understand now. Um, yeah, super interesting. Um, let's see. So I guess like, um, 
topics left to talk about. Um, what other things, I guess, maybe let me phrase that to you. What, what things do you have on your mind? Do you have anything on your mind? Do you want to like talk about any other topics as we're getting close to like wrapping up? What are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, well, you're representing the MLG t-shirt here. So let's, let's talk about a little bit about your gaming experience and, uh, you know, let's, let's see what that's about. You know, yeah. I, I know that I attended MLG and Anaheim, uh, when I was a senior in high school, and I, I know you probably went there too, I'm guessing, but the t-shirt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, also natural segue into your League of Legends. <laughs> um, I knew you were setting it up. I knew you were setting it up for that. <laughs> Using me as a proxy. Um, no, so, yeah, so basically, like, I, I started off um, playing World of Warcraft. Oh, first off, it was Halo 3. Um, let me take you all the way back. We were in my grandma's, um, you know, bedroom and we had everybody from the block. Like this was prior to Instagram and TikTok. And I know most of the audience is actually older than I am. So, um, but for the audience that's maybe younger than me, I'm 27 now. So if you're younger than 27, um, you know, we didn't have the direct like uh, multiplayer online. So we were like land connected. We had cords plugged in. We wheeled in like TVs. We were all in the same room. We had pizza. Like, you know what I mean? It was so much fun and such a cool experience. I'm very grateful for that, uh, that childhood. Um, and then, you know, in the process of doing that, I got kind of hooked on the idea of competitive gaming. And I always, I always played competitive soccer and then video games were something I could do something similar, but in my own home. And, and it was like, really cool like i'm in this new world and all this stuff and so did halo 3 for a while and that really kicked off a lot of the like mlg experience so um i remember being gosh i must have been 14 and i i got on a train solo and went to dallas um and i met someone that i i had been playing with online um for the mlg tournament and that was a really interesting moment and you know, I, I recently just solo um, took a trip to Europe. And I know that every time I sometimes when I say that people are like, you took a solo trip, you know, did you have anything planned out? No, I just kind of went. Um, and so like, I think that's where it kind of kicked off. I came into Dallas, I'm at this tournament, huge TVs, tons of seats, they're like giving free stuff away. I'm getting like chocolate pretzels and, you know, taking photos and getting t shirts, and just completely immersed. And there's people from Brazil there and all over the world. Um, and that, that really, that feeling was like, um, so cool around the MLG side. Um, fast forward to world of Warcraft, start playing world of Warcraft, um, get very into, um, playing competitive. I do 10 V 10 type, um, games. I don't know how much I've talked about this actually. So I would like be super vocal and leading those like 10 V 10s. Um, and we, we rose up maybe into like the top like 5% of uh, people on World of Warcraft for like 10v10 uh, battles. And those battles are super intense um, as well. Uh, and then from there, I basically learned about um, the idea of doing 2v2 um, carries is what they were called. So I would play with like you and I, Alex would play on a team, you would pay me, and then we would get wins and you would just sit in the corner and I would just like play the the other two uh, by myself. And then doing that at a really low rank was super easy. You would get wins out of it, which would then give you gear. You would pay me. There's a transaction there. I did like customer service, handle the payments, all that stuff. Um, my first like little, you know, kick at consulting. That was my first consulting company was World of Warcraft, which is no one respected that. And so, you know, that's why I transitioned to fast food <laughs> right after they tried to put it on the resume, but you know, they didn't, they, they didn't understand it. So anyways, that's my, my game experience. You know, I've done a lot of counter-strike, played it like some, some high level counter-strike. So shout out to the CSGO people out there. Of course, some rocket league played high levels of like poker as well. Um, for, you know, like, you know, $200 tables and so on online. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's me now to you, sir. Um, let's talk about some league. So what's your, what's your gaming experience, Alex? Let's talk about it. Oh, well, I mean, I'll say, you know, I, I have a pretty thorough history of gaming experience as well. So I'll, I'll start from the, 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 the day one, I guess. I mean, shoot, like when did I get my uh, first computer? I think I was, I think I must have been in first grade. Um, and ever since then in Korea, you know, Korea is notorious for video gaming and PC gaming. And they have, you know, these PC cafes, cafes, what they call it, right? Where 
there's just hundreds of like you know high-end PCs where you can just rent for an hour at a really 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 ridiculously cheap price and that's pretty much where all the you know students at like Korea would end up going after school like that's where they have fun uh, instead of like going out to the soccer field or something uh you know that for korean version of entertainment was pc bound which is pc cafe but anyways you know i've played various pc games growing up ever since then um i've only started getting into competitive gaming when starcraft 2 first came out uh which was i think i must have been in like high school um like freshman or sophomore year um you know i didn't play starcraft one which was the version before that which was you know very successful long competitive like you know million dollar esports uh, you know gaming that has existed you know you know since you know decades ago right and starcraft 2 was like a renewed version of this so there was a huge hype around this and i got really competitive like i said (laughs) competitive is something that i've always you know enjoyed and you know i i can't play any other games than knowing that i'm beating somebody like i only get entertainment and joy from the fact that like I've spent more time and I'm better than you at this. I think that is literally the <laughs> only joy that I have reason why I play video games. So like I, to this day, I still can't play like MMORPG or any single player games because I don't have that gratification of somebody suffering on the other end of the line. <laughs> Girl, so, so you're not, you're not into like um, doing the quest, go pick the flowers, put it in your bag and then you get some gold exchange nope. campaign mode. Okay. Okay. I'm seeing so, a pattern. <laughs> so i was the opposite of a lot of my friends because a lot of my friends did enjoy like skyrim like those single player games uh where you get to you know just have that immersive experience and for me like i just didn't have that thrill from it um starcraft 2 i got really competitive i, I played a lot of that in college actually and i which is the reason why i went to mlg, MLG is to actually compete there um so rank wise starcraft 2 i was considered semi-professional so that's about 0.01 percent of the entire population uh, of the starcraft 2 rank um and i was competing in different offline tournaments online you know there were several hundred dollars as first prize i you know claimed a lot of those and i <laughs> i actually still remember to this day they were um streaming my games in college and broadcasting it and that was such a cool experience that i'll, I'll never forget um because my roommate at the time was actually watching the broadcasted version of the game that I was playing in real time right next to him that was being broadcasted by like two different types of casters verbally describing like what I'm about to do and what moves that I'm about to make like predicting what I'm about to do in real time and like oh my goodness like I feel like a pro Starcraft player and like that was such a unique experience um and obviously eventually jumped into uh, League of Legends which was you know something my friends I ended up you know wanting me to play because it was pretty popular at that time. Um, also really competitive, but it's a team-based competitive game, so a little bit different. But yeah, I mean, now, like, you know, the, a lot of the gaming uh, type of experience and has, you know, kind of faded away. I mean, I eventually definitely want to get back into it, uh, but, you know, I guess there's been a lot more pressing things in my life than gaming. It's, it's not like, you know, in college where you have nothing to do and, <laughs> you know, play video games all day like other college students. Yeah, do you think like something that's interesting about that? Um, and then I'm going to circle back to some other stuff that you said. Uh, do you think there's like a shelf life to video games? Do you feel like that as you get older, it becomes more difficult to like maybe it's like the amount of things that are being juggled, the type of games, the like, do you think there's any correlation to like aging and and video game like usage? I know there's still people out there that are you know, way beyond 30 plus that are actively still playing video games um, a lot. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I just recently kicked Daniel's butt on the bicycle game. So, you know, he can tell you all about <laughs> the experience. But no, I don't think there there's go. a correlation directly to age, but probably age having correlation to how your life ended up being, right? Like, I mean, most people when they, you know, have other, you know, like when you're in your 20s, you know, you really don't have a lot of priorities and things that are immediate that you have to do. Like there's a lot of downtime. And I think as you age and as you kind of like be more organized as you grow up, um, I think, you know, you, you you find yourself less time in like the video game world. Um, but again, like that's not completely true, right? Because I know a mm-hmm. lot of people who are, you know, very, very, you know, much older than I am and are still, you know, avid video gamers. And I think, you know, I 
you know, I think that's a good thing because, you know, I'd, <laughs> I'd rather exercise my brain and play video games than, you know, just sit down for hours and watch, you know, uh, you know TV short movies, uh, which, you know, they're, they're all entertainment, but I think one type of other entertainment is more kind of like mentally exercising than the other. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure all of us kind of imagine just like the zombie brain of watching a Netflix series or Amazon Prime series or whatever for 10 hours straight. Or <laughs> I know some people, I don't know how people have self-control sometimes. Like it doesn't make any sense. Like for me, I watch a TV show and if it's good, I like, I can't turn it off until I watch the entire thing. It doesn't even now, like even now, like if I, so I have to be very careful about like what shows I watch. Cause like billions, like if anybody's seen the show billions, uh, or upload on Amazon Prime. Oh my gosh. Like I turn that thing on and it's like, I'm like, it's like six seasons and I'm like, oh my gosh, I haven't, I need more sleep. I need like more time, you know, like, oh, it was light outside and now it's like pitch black. What happened? <laughs> um, yeah. Going back to StarCraft, what happened? Like what was the, what was the big reason for, what was the reason that like led from from doing the you're on stream you're playing starcraft you're at the 0.02 percent of players online um what what kind of transpired that like uh kind of made you put the put the keyboard and mouse away a little bit yeah that's a great question i think the game has died unfortunately and i, I played Dang. that game for a while um it the wings of liberty was like the first version and then there was a second one and there's a third one and i think there was eventually even a fourth one but I think I quit around like the second half, which was when kind of the popularity drastically dropped. Um, you know what? During during my days, I think I call it the golden days because that's when like it was the most popular period of the time for StarCraft. You know, like there were so many professional like it was being broadcasted. Like there was tournaments every other month, and these first prizes were like millions of dollars. Like you know no joke right like people are coming from internationally to travel and compete and like it was a big events uh, that were happening across and like the community was still there right like you had a huge number of communities that were attending these esports uh, events and i think and i think this is what's happening now today's gaming society too uh, is that like games come and go um they have their shell life uh no game like lasts forever and i think that's what happened with starcraft uh, it's happening to League as well. I think uh, League, I sort of see it as a the transitory of StarCraft II to League of Legends. Um, a lot of people that I knew play StarCraft ended up, you know, transferring to League too, just because like it's a similar, like a little bit of a similar mechanic style, but you know, not really because there's no macro playing League of Legends. But in, in the same sense that it was very competitive, it was very popular. It was part of a major esports events, um, and you know, even that game had like its period of reign where it was very, very popular. And that was part of that period when it was popular. But now also is, I think, I mean, I haven't checked it now, but I, it's drastically, you know, died down and the, the community is less there. I think there's more community now in like games like like Fortnite, like PUBG, um, and maybe some other games that I'm not like mentioning here. But like, those are just, again, like examples of how games transition. And I think sometimes I feel a little bit sad because like, I do want to play and go back and play those games. Like, you know, I wish there was a, a user base, but you know, like they're never going to come back. <laughs> yeah. That's like the hardest thing. Cause like there was a golden era of world of Warcraft where it was like tons of people playing. There was like professional teams. It was streaming on Twitch, like in the early days of Twitch. Um, uh, may even been like right on the, like right after the change from justin.tv or whatever. Um, and things were like, all over the place there's a huge community i would watch like twitch streamers i'd be playing i'd be like doing my like little consulting thing as well um and same thing for halo 3 all the mlg tournaments back like 2012 2013 uh or not even 2013 2012 like 2010 something around there 2010 2011 um those are like halo 3 tournaments and then yeah like you said like it just some like the games come and go and they die out and then man when they die out and you're like you just it's like you can't even go back and relive those moments because um, there's just no user base. And uh, yeah, so in terms of like the overarching, just kind of like timeline and circle of life of these video games, like there's a moment when it's like very big and it's full of life and there's all these people and you're in it, you're experiencing it, you love it, you're doing it every day. And then slowly over time, it fades away. There's something new that comes and then you kind of like, 
maybe you're not part of that new thing now, right? And so you kind of just like watch like almost this transition take place. And I and I guess the question I'm asking is like, do you do you think there's like a deeper meaning in that that like we're seeing it play out in this area, but it's actually applies to like maybe a more macro, like outside video games, like life aspect, you know? Yes, yes. And I was trying to think of a quote that sort of answers this is uh, somebody said that intelligence is actually the measure of somebody being able to change, adapt to the change. And it, you know, when you look at humans, we evolved in natural, through natural selection, we've become to the top of the food chain now. And that's because we're always changing. We have to change. And inherently to survive, I think we have to constantly change. And I think the, the lesson that's bleeding over is things that are, you know, short lived and here and there is that, you know, that's how life is and how nature works is that everything around you, even time, every second now to next second is going to be a different experience. Like you're only going to be able to adapt to the change. And if you don't, you don't survive. And that's just how I see it. And, you know, as simple as that statement is, it really applies to a lot of things in life. Um, not just career, gaming, but like experiences, life lessons, and everything outside of that is that, you know, <laughs> we were born in this world where you know, things are moving. Things are always moving. And the people who are on the top of the food chain are people that are adapting to change. And I think people who are able to adapt to those gaming transitions, like the examples that we made of, are the people that are probably going to be constantly competing and playing different video games at a high level. It's because they're able to make that transition when the time is right. Like the people who are, and actually this is a, <laughs> this is actually a detrimental real use case in South Korea is because all the professional uh, gamers in Korea who were playing StarCraft II that did, didn't make the transition to League of Legends professional gaming ended up losing their career because the game died and the competitions weren't there anymore. The teams mm. weren't there. The organization wasn't there. So players were forced to change into a different game. And mm. I kid you not, 80% of the people that I followed on StarCraft 2, they all transitioned to like League of Legends. And people that didn't, didn't survive. And that's a sheer brutality. Like professional gaming is, can be really rewarding in Korea if you're like really you know, super good. But if you're just mediocre, like your career is sort of on the line because what if you're not good anymore? because you're old or what if the game's not popular anymore? Like you have to make those changes. Yeah, that's really tough. Yeah, it's super tough. Um, at least like in programming, we have like jQuery and I saw a graph where it was like, <laughs> jQuery has been the same. Like it's been like 20 years or like, or 10 years and it's still going strong. Um, so at least there's that, at least there's like some level of like base. Like if you know this, you're probably going to still be somewhat relevant in tech. You may not be on the, cutting cutting edge i know personally like um you know am i doing nft development no am i doing like eth like ethereum development no um you know but do i understand how it works sure but like am i doing it no so um but yeah i completely agree like the idea of this transition taking place and the the life skill around that of you like you you get the road signs and do you jump right like when when you see those road signs and you know like should i should i not you have that internal struggle um and if you're you're right like if you don't make that transition you can just get left behind and and unfortunately um i think programming is a little bit better at this because there's always that legacy code to maintain and so on and so someone that's like doesn't want to be on that front edge still has a place um, with the domain knowledge but in video games, it's like, it's just a hard cut. Like if you're Halo 3 and then it moves to Halo 4 or it moves to CSGO or it moves to Call of Duty or moves to something else and you don't make that jump um, and you stay on the Halo 3 side, it's like, it just dwindles, dwindles, dwindles down to like almost, almost to zero. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, I hope that, uh, I hope that the audience found um, this you know, extra bonus video game talk. Um, interesting. Um, uh, I won't, I won't uh, have an ego and say insightful, but I will say it's definitely been interesting to say the least. Um, on, uh, on the topics of closing this uh, out here, uh, Alex, is there anything that you want to promote, shout out, 
uh, say to the audience as we're coming to a close? No, you know, serverless guru, long live. Uh, you know, thank you for, you know, really having me here. I think I had a really great, you know, fun chatting with you for almost an hour. Wow. You know, time, time definitely flies fast. Um, but yeah, you know, look forward to it. Thanks for having me here. Awesome. Okay. Well, uh, we'll also have Alex's uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, things like that in the show notes. So definitely give him a follow as well there. Um, and uh, yeah, absolutely good to have you on. Thanks for being a guest today, Alex. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. All right. To those listening, this has been the Talking Serverless Podcast with Ryan Jones. If you like our show, check out Talking Serverless IO or leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. And of course, join us next time as we sit down with another fantastic guest. Um, if you have any guest recommendations, if you want to hear any different types of content, let us know on Twitter at, at Talking Serverless. And with that, it's a wrap. Thanks, everybody.